0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. We are in the middle of this series called uh, Crux, which is basically these sort of like vital foundations of the faith that we are going to kind of review each week, week by week. Um, It also has a secondary definition of a cross, so you kind of see what we did there with the cross. You see that? It's kind of cool, right? Um, By the way, I looked up Cole Neesmith on how many of me. You guys ever gone to that site? You look at how many of me and see how many people with your name? And according to how many of me, you guys ready? There's only one Cole Neesmith in the United States. So hopefully it's not like a prophetic website. It's just like wrong. That's what we're hoping. It's just wrong. So glad to have both Cole Neesmiths with us here tonight. Um, Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with my message, but I thought I would look that up. Um, So last week, Ryan spent time reviewing the human condition. I'm going to touch on that tonight, but just kind of like what's true of humanity, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, and what did that, what did that, what did that have the ramifications, the implications for us today um, he looked at romans 5 18, 18 through 21 which actually kind of reviewed adam so what happened with adam in the garden in, in 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 of eden with adam and eve um, and he kind of ushered death and this idea of wanting to do our things our own way into the world um, and then that passage in romans also in romans 5 also talks about in christ So in Jesus, the contrast to that is that he brings life and he actually restores those things. And so uh, Ryan's focus last week was on that former part. Uh, He got to bring the bad news. Uh, This week I get to bring the good news. And so we're gonna focus on that part. Uh, If anybody has a question about whether or not the human condition is apart from God, so this is us apart from Jesus and the work that he's done, if any of you have a question about whether or not it's true that we are innately... Uh, want to do things our own way, not God's way, then my suggestion to you is just have children. Because that will answer the question with all finality for you. As a matter of fact, my oldest daughter, who's now 19 and she's doing wonderfully, when she was little, I can remember her actually, we would say, hey, honey, do this. And we'd kind of like demonstrate for her how to do it. And most of the time she would look at us and she would go, I just wanna do it myself. And she would squeeze her fists like that because she wanted to do it her own way. And I think if we're honest, looking back at Ryan's message and things he talked about, that's true of all of us. There's some part of our life, maybe different for all of us, that we just want to do it our own way. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to have it our way. And so last week, Ryan shared this problem with us when he said, we were created to find life in intimacy with God, but we chose to try to manage good and evil on our own terms. That's sort of the crux of the problem, is that God made us to have intimacy with him and have life in him, be intimate with him, but we made a choice to try to do it on our own terms and figure out our own way to do it. But this week, um, we're going to look at the really good news, and that is that God is relentlessly committed to restoring that life and intimacy to our relationship with him, that he's not some person who just did creation and hurled things into being and just hopes for the best, but rather he's actually pursuing you now and he's after you and he's really committed. Um, have you guys ever heard of the story of the, the chicken and the pig who wanted to make breakfast for the farmer? Have you guys heard this story? A no, a hen? It, it's a hen, not a chicken. I'm not a farmer, so I may have the terminology wrong. Aren't they the same thing? I just, I teach okay, you teach munchkins, so it's a hen. So a hen, a pig, they're getting together and they want to do something nice for their farmer because he's a really good farmer, okay? And so they are talking to each other and the hen says, we should make breakfast. Okay, this sounds good, right? You Breakfast, bring the farmer breakfast. And the hen says, we should have bacon and eggs. And the pig looks at the, <laughs> at the hen and says... Uh, well, that's really great for you to say because for you, you're, you know, you're gonna keep going. But for me, I'm like all in on this breakfast if we serve bacon. And so um, that's a little bit of how I view things, although I stopped and thought about it. Actually, since God sent his son, is he more like the chicken? But that's a whole theological problem, so we won't go there. But the reality is, is that, that the, the key point here is that God's love for us was so great that to get us back to that place of life and intimacy he, it actually involves sacrifice on his part. It involved great sacrifice on his part, probably the greatest that, that we could imagine. And so that's how I know that God's love for me is so strong and his commitment for me is so strong because the thing that he had to do to pursue me and to restore that life and intimacy involved great sacrifice on his part. Um, as a matter of fact, for tonight, our working kind of definition of salvation is gonna be that idea, that God is committed to restoring life and intimacy to our relationship with him. Because as we learned last week, that we were dead and separated from God apart from what Jesus did. And that, that that idea of salvation, when you hear that word, the simplest way to think of it is that it restores that life and intimacy in our relationship with God. Now, there's this is a hard thing to do, right? So when we talk about this series of crux, it's a really difficult thing to do because there's actually a lot of other things that. In, are involved with salvation. As a matter of fact, people have written large books on it, and I'm talking for, you know, just a very short period of time about it. But for tonight, I think that's a really good kind of basic understanding of this idea of salvation. Um, we want to look at a couple of passages, but the first one I want to spend a little bit of time on is this one in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and the first three verses are a little bit looking back to where Ryan was taking us last week. This idea of you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see in there this idea of us wanting to do it our own way. This idea that we are carrying out the desires of our body, our mind, the way we want to do things is kind of how we were. Now here's Some of you are probably thinking, okay, Paul, we've reviewed this enough. You're supposed to bring the good news tonight, and I'm still reviewing this stuff. But I think this is really important because the next thing that happens, and I put Nathan Smith on the spot this morning, and he nailed it. The next thing that happens is this really important thing because in the very next verse, we're going to look at uh, a conjunction that changes everything. And so does anybody know what that kind of conjunction is called when it contrasts from one to the other? the name of it. Come on, Heather, your teacher. No, your kids are too little probably, right? Yeah, so it's actually called a coordinating conjunction. Nathan Smith nailed it. We don't learn that a lot in school anymore, but a coordinating conjunction is something that's like, I was this, but now I'm this. I was doing this, but now I'm doing this. So that idea of connecting two kind of somewhat disconnected phrases unless that word is there. And so what I'm going to tell you is that the good news from Ephesians chapter 2 is that we Paul shows us the greatest coordinating conjunction in all of history, because in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, he introduces the idea that while we were all of those things, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is an incredible passage because it demonstrates us for us that everything that happened, the switch that happened, is dependent on God. It's not dependent on us and what we have done or what we haven't done, but it's God and it's dependent on Him. So what's God's motivation? Like, why is He doing this? It's really clear in this passage is that God's movement to restore us to relationship with Him is motivated by His great love for us. He's not doing it for any other reason than the fact that He just loves you. His reason, His desire to to restore you to life... And to be intimate with you is the same reason he created us because he wants that relationship and he loves you so much and that's his motivation. The other thing to notice in this passage is the present tenseness of it. Um, and we're gonna keep seeing that over and over again. So I wanna draw your attention to the idea of the present tenseness of this of this fra- these phrases. Um, keeping moving in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, we're gonna look at this next phrase. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We saw this idea in 2, 4, and 5 as well, by grace you have been saved. And grace is just this idea of unmerited favor. It's the idea that we got something that we didn't deserve. So God, he's motivated by love. That's his motivation to restore us into this life and intimacy with him. And then here we see that it's not something that we have to earn or do, but it's something that God actually does For us on our behalf. Now, I want to say one side note, a comment here. This idea of works, because I think sometimes uh, the idea of good works and how this all fits into the picture can be a little bit confusing. And I think one of the simplest ways to understand how the idea of doing good in the world, how does it fit into this picture of the Christian life? Um, A very simple way to understand it is would you think it was strange if you saw a dolphin walking down the street? Yeah, I mean, that's really weird, right? Because where do you see a dolphin? You expect to see a dolphin when you're out in the ocean, when he's swimming around, and why is that? Because that's what dolphins do. Dolphins swim. I would tell you that God actually made us in his image, and by being made in his image, then we should just be known for people that are doing the kinds of things that God does out there. It's even why you see people who sometimes aren't super connected with God doing good things because they were made in his image too. And so if we are people who are made in God's image, we've been restored to life and intimacy with God, then our lives should look like God. It should look like that kind of kindness and empathy and compassion pouring out for other people. Uh, But it has not connected at all to the idea that we're restored to relationship. That act and that work is done by God and what he did for us uh, in in that. So the second thing I wanna point out in this whole context, the first one, that was really important was this idea that that God restores us to relationship with him and his motivation is his love for us. The second thing is it's not something, salvation is not something that happens only in the future. It's not just something that happens in the future. Salvation begins the moment that we take God at his word and believe. I wanna tell you a little story about myself. So when I was growing up, I grew up in in a Southern Baptist church in Louisiana. Uh, And when I say I grew up there, I really did. My parents had me there like all the time. I think I have more memories in the church than I do at home. Um, And so I just sort of like grew up knowing God. Like it just was kind of a thing that was presented to me from the very beginning. There wasn't a time that I can remember where the idea of God and knowledge of Him wasn't something present in my life. And I remember when I was actually pretty little, I think I was like six years old, that I finally understood this idea that if I didn't accept what Jesus had done on the cross for me, if I didn't understand that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was what was gonna enable me to be restored to that relationship, and I had to like, have some personal way to accept that, some way to like own that for myself, that I would be separated from God when I died. So when I was six, I was like, Oh my goodness, when I die, I'm going to go to this place called hell and it's going to be horrible. And so I knew at that young age, I didn't want this idea of separation, but I only was connecting with the future part. That's all I knew at that time. But as I've grown older, there's been these moments in my life where God has shown me that salvation isn't just something that happens in the future. This knowledge, this, These passages, if you read them and you look at them, there's so much present tenseness to it. That salvation actually begins the moment we take God at his word and believe, and he wants the relationship and the intimacy now. He's not waiting for some future tense that's going to happen. He wants that to happen now. And uh, by the way, I think it's okay for us to admit that our understanding of God and our theology actually evolves over time. As we grow in intimacy with him, we grow in our knowledge of him, in our relationship with him, that we're going to actually be growing and changing as a result of that. It's one of the reasons why I think it's really important for us to be okay with our belief systems being different than someone else's because we're gonna change and they're gonna change and we need to actually help each other through that process as a community and a body of believers. Um, So we've talked about this idea of having broken relationship. We've talked about this idea of it being restored The thing I don't have a lot of time to get to, but I'd love to just mention to you because it's really important, is that there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens the moment that we are restored into that intimacy and life with God. There's passages that Paul writes about in his letters in the New Testament that talk about this idea of spiritual blessings and being right now recipients of spiritual blessings and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Even back in Psalm 103, which we're not gonna turn to, he, he talks about all these things that happen when we're in relationship with God. We talk about phrases like being in Christ and being alive in Christ. We talk about experiencing this relationship with Christ. We even call it things like being in the light because our eyes are so opened compared to where we were before. And so these are all things that this. there's just this richness that I wish we had time to unpack that comes with this idea of being restored to life and intimacy with God. Throughout the Old Testament, um, God was actually foretelling of this event. This wasn't, the things I'm telling you now, these are things that we look back toward. But the reality was, if you remember the, the, the sequence of this, Adam and Eve, as Ryan talked to us about, they actually were the ones who initially said, we're gonna do things our own way. We're gonna set up good and evil on our own terms. And then from there, it wasn't until Jesus came, we're gonna look at this, this what happened when Jesus came. It wasn't until that time that, that we actually understood the fulfillment of this promise, that he wanted to restore his people to life and relationship. And so what's happening in this period between when Genesis happens and when Jesus comes is we're seeing God's people, the Israelites, we're seeing his people interact with God and hear these promises being foretold and seeing foreshadowing of what's about to come. And I think one of the most beautiful places that we see this is in Isaiah chapter 49. There's this prophet, Isaiah, that's how I say it. Ryan says some weird way of Isaiah or something like that. But it's Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, um, God's telling us of this restoration. We're gonna pick it up in verse eight. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in the darkness, be free. Remember, I talked about us being referred to as people who are in the light. These were people at this time that were in the darkness. They're waiting to be called out and be told you're free. Uh, I want us to look at one thing, and I want to kind of commit this to memory for a moment, is this, these first couple of sentences where it's, or phrases. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation... I will help you. You have like a photographic memory, just like capture that little, those couple of phrases right there. It's really important. And so in this waiting period, I tried, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking about like, what is it like to be in that period where we know that our relationship with God has been broken and yet we're hearing a promise of this kind of freedom and restoration that's coming and yet we're waiting to see what the fulfillment of that promise is gonna be. I think all of us have probably experienced something like that in our life in smaller ways. I can't imagine what it's like for hundreds of years, right, as God's people were waiting. Uh, And back in 2002, I was running a conference in Spain. I actually work in full-time ministry, and this was the first time that we were actually bringing together the leaders from every country as we'd grown as a ministry back together. So these weren't Americans. These were like uh, indigenous people from 70 different countries. And, and my job was to help to run this, co- I was actually leading the operations and kind of running this conference. And so we've got people from 70 different countries, their families, all coming together. And we really wanna kind of create this atmosphere of being together. And so we had a theme and we we're like, we're going after this mission, this idea together. And so we ordered these shirts. Now I was really excited to get these shirts. Um, and uh, we, we were waiting and waiting and the shirts weren't coming. And this is like before the day when you have the fancy tracking that we have today with FedEx, this was 2002. I honestly, guys, we had like flip phones running around Spain and I thought we were so cool because we had like cell phones and we could communicate to each other. That was like high tech back then, um, dating myself big time. But, But we were waiting for these things and it got to the point where literally I would call FedEx And they would be like, they're there, they've arrived, the boxes have arrived in your town, Playa de Aro, in in the northern, north of Barcelona in Spain, they've arrived, and they're going to be there today, and I can remember like sitting, like looking out the window, just like waiting, I'm so excited for these shirts, like, the shirts were just shirts, but like by the end, it became like this huge thing, like we have to have these shirts, right? And so I'm waiting for these shirts, at one point, the FedEx truck, I'm not kidding you, this really happened, it drove by and it like kind of slowed down. And then it like sped up and I literally came out and like started sprinting after it because I was sure they had my shirts and I couldn't catch the truck. My shirts were probably on that truck, by the way. Um, we never got them. We never got the shirts. And so we did not have our promise fulfilled like, like other, others do. These weren't Halo products, by the way, Greg. This wasn't. Greg, Greg actually does shirts and prints lots of things and that would never happen with Halo. He always delivers on time. Uh, but I wanted you to take a, f- a, few, uh, a couple of minutes here and I want you to actually get in touch with something in your own life where you've had that kind of waiting, that kind of anticipation, that you've longed for something, you've waited for something. Maybe it was when you were a child. And just take a moment to reflect and connect with something in your own, in your own life that's been that way. Did you find it? Did you get connected with that thing that you like waited for? And did you have a moment where you remembered maybe what it was like? when you got that thing or maybe you haven't maybe you're still waiting but but i'm wondering if you were able to make that connection back to where you were longing for that thing and waiting for it and then that came to being and this is what happened when god sent his son jesus that his people who had experienced broken relationship and they'd experienced uh, death this feeling of death inside of them and then they had this had this restored Because what broke that relationship was, remember, was the idea that we want to do things our own way. And we can't actually repair that on our own. We can't be good enough to repair that on our own. And Paul does something really beautiful. Again, the author Paul does something really beautiful in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. I think this is one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture, where Paul says that God made him, that's Jesus he's referring to, God made him who had no sin. Jesus had lived a perfect life. He had not tried to do things his own way. He was God's son, and God actually agreed to sin, said, we're gonna send Jesus down to earth, and on your behalf, he's gonna live a sinless life, and then he's actually gonna become sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. There's a whole bunch packed in there, but the simple truth I want us to see right there is that Jesus stepped in on our behalf, and through him is where we can have that life and relationship restored. That's going all in, right? I mean, I have children, and if I were to have to sacrifice a child, that would be going all in. You know. And God went all in for us. He allowed his son Jesus not just to die, but to actually become sin on our behalf. Paul goes on and he says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says... In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Hopefully you remembered back in Isaiah 49 when the prophet Isaiah was foretelling of what was to come. Paul's saying, in case you missed it, in Isaiah 49, there was a bunch of language like, I will do this, I will do this. And Paul's like, present tense, I heard you. Present tense, I helped you. And now he says, just in case you didn't get it, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. He's saying, all of those things you've been waiting for, that longing that you're getting in touch with, the hundreds of years of waiting by God's people, it's fulfilled now, today, in Jesus and what he did. He makes it really clear that Jesus is what they've been waiting for. And his death and resurrection was done on our behalf, on your behalf. The restoration promises fulfilled... So our question tonight that I want us to kind of wrestle with is this idea of how will you respond to God's commitment to restoring life and intimacy to his relationship with you. So for for some of us, this may be a new idea. It may be a new thought. I don't know where you're at and where you come from. It may be that you're hearing a lot of things for the first time and you're wrestling with what that means. But for some, Uh, maybe it's something like me. I grew up in church. It's something I've I've kind of heard about for a long time, but I think there's something in here for all of us because this idea of restoring life and intimacy, it's not just a one-time thing. Like there are things that get in the way of me experiencing the life that God has for me, experiencing the intimacy that God has for me all the time. And so this is an opportunity for us to really look inside and go, God, what is it that's preventing me from experiencing that life and intimacy with you? <clears throat> maybe it is the fact that I've never actually just said, I want to I own that and take it for my own. I want to believe it. I want to understand that truth for the first time. But maybe for some of it it's, it's <clears throat> recognizing that there are things that I've allowed to come into my life, or things that I've never actually just gotten rid of that are preventing me from restoring that kind of life and intimacy. So I'd ask that you stand up. <clears throat> because you might be thinking, Paul, I hear you saying these words, but, but Paul, you don't know what my background is like. You don't know what my past is like. You don't have any idea of what I've done. And my response to you is, that coordinating conjunction applies to you. Because no matter what you've done, I say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for you, can overcome all of those things of your past. You might say paul but i'm like a leader in this church i've like been coming here a long time and if i were to tell people about this thing or people knew about it what would they think i mean surely i can't but i say to you all of those things but god because he's rich in mercy and because of his great love for you is so much bigger than all of those things and anything that's getting in the way of you having life and intimacy with god to its fullest is worth getting rid of it's worth getting rid of so I'm going to invite us to a few moments of prayer tonight where you can, you can just, if for everybody, everybody who's here, just take some moments and just go before the Lord and ask him, say, God, look inside my heart. Maybe it's something I'm aware of. It's like right there and accessible, and I know what it is that's preventing me from experiencing that life and intimacy. Maybe it's something that you just need to spend time with, asking the Lord, Lord, what is it? What is it that's preventing me from getting there? And God can speak to you right here in this moment. So I invite everybody to do that together together in the next few moments and then for some of you might say I want prayer I want someone to pray with me to help me work through these things and we'll have some people in the back as the worship begins that'll be willing to pray with you and kind of just wrestle with God over the things that you want because he's going to honor your desire when you say God I want to experience more of your life and I want more intimacy with you I promise you that's a prayer he will answer he will answer it every time so let's take some time together to do that Been the city beautiful church podcast to stay connected follow us on social everywhere at city beautiful ch we hope you join us again soon